You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But that's after becoming a Christian. There's a fear of ridicule and rejection even before you come to Christ. Started for me as a young boy. I've done a lot of things over the years to try to fit in. Come on now. Come on now. Can I get a witness? Come on. We all fear it. It's a natural thing. It starts when you're young. And it doesn't end when you're old. Fear is false evidence appearing real. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you the truth that everyone experiences fear. But the Bible tells you not to fear. So how is that possible? God is with you no matter what the circumstances are or who you encounter. He's greater than everything that you'll face. Everything. Pastor Danny encourages you to spend time with the Lord and express to Him your cares and concerns. Then let Him give you the reassurance you need. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. First Peter chapter 3, and just before we read, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, God makes a statement there through the pen of Solomon, and here's what he says, God has set eternity in the heart of man. In other words, every single person, every one of us here this morning, we know that when we die physically, it's not the end of life. We know we're going to live on somewhere. Every single person has been given by their creator this inner knowledge that when I die, it's not the end. That's why it's essential that every one of us consider Jesus Christ because he's the only savior. And what we do with Jesus Christ determines where we will spend Eternity. Need I remind us? Listen, eternity is a very long time. Very long time. We're just a blip here. James says we're like a vapor. But we know when this life is over, we're going to live on. And so everyone needs to make a decision regarding Jesus Christ, and hopefully you'll make the right decision to repent, receive him as Lord and Savior. Now, once you do that, This life becomes a greater challenge because now this world is no longer your home. 19 years old, I received Christ as Lord and Savior, and this world was no longer my home. Some of the practical things that God says to us through the pen of Peter helps me as a Christian continue to live life for Christ on this planet. 
in this present world. I need these words. If you're a Christian, you need these words. Now, kind of the theme of, uh, uh, really, of 1 Peter, uh, you can read it back in 1 Peter chapter 2. Go back with me just for a minute. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called as a Christian. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, practical words in regard to that life of self-denial and suffering. Pick it up with me, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Now, before I knew Christ, I naturally would repay evil with evil or insult with insult most of the time. But with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, we could spend a lot of time on these few verses, but we're not. I think you'll get it. Uh, very simply, you could say that section is repay evil with good. That doesn't come naturally. I have to deny myself to do that. I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. But that's part of following Christ, because that's what Christ did. Uh, this is a little lengthy, but read this with me from Romans chapter 12. Are you ready? Come on, say it with me. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, giving something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those burning coals are coals of conviction. In other words, that's part of our witness, the way we respond. And we've seen that before in the study of 1 Peter. Let me read for you Luke chapter 6. You're welcome to turn there and follow along with me, or you can just perk up your ear and listen. Luke chapter 6 from Jesus himself. Here's what he said. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. I got a chance to live that out a few years ago. Guy at the service station punched me four times. Still don't know why he punched me. Never said a word. And it was interesting because after it happened, I realized I was teaching on this passage that very weekend after he punched me. And if you're here and you're the guy that punched me, I forgive you. And you better be thankful I didn't beat you up because I could have taken you. You're not that big. Had people coming up to me at service when I told that story. Big guys. Some guys I never even knew. And they'd come up going, we'll go find that guy. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Maybe next time. But if I'm walking with the Lord, it's no. 
No, that's not the way to handle it. Someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. He takes one garment, give him the other one too. That's tough stuff, man. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Because that's what his kids are supposed to act like. Because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Here's what Romans tells us, chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And don't get the wrong idea. We still sin as Christians. But we're referred to as saints because now we're washed in the blood. All right? We're forgiven, cleansed, washed. But before we were washed... That's when Christ died for us. And whether you receive him or not, he still died for you. He died for all of us. So, repay evil with good. Look at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, from that section, I pulled out one statement, and it really says it. Don't give in to fear. It's actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 8. Let me read you Isaiah chapter 8, it's actually Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12, but if I go back and read verse 11, we'll get a better understanding of what God was saying through the pen of Isaiah here. Verse 11, the Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Now, the people he's talking about includes Israel, but Israel in a backslidden state. And they were acting like unbelievers, not believers. Then the next statement, don't follow the way of this people. Don't call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear and don't dread it. Well, what do people that don't know the Lord fear? You know, one of the things they fear, and listen, we all had to deal with this and still do. Starts early in life. You know what it is? Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But that's after becoming a Christian. There's a fear of ridicule and rejection even before you come to Christ. Started for me as a young boy. I've done a lot of things over the years to try to fit in. Come on now. Come on now. Can I get a witness? Amen. Come on. We all fear it. It's a natural thing. It starts when you're young. And it doesn't end when you're old. I want to 
be accepted. Don't go around looking for ridicule and rejection because I'm a Christian. Who does that? You're weird if you do that. You're weird. I'm not going to hang out with you. Fear of threats. Threats. Isaiah. The context of Isaiah, that statement, don't fear what they fear. I mean, over and over again, they had these enemy armies coming against them. Ultimately from the hand of God because they kept going back into idolatry. Every now and then you get a king like Hezekiah uh, who would go to God and say, God, we can't stand against this innumerable army, but Lord, we're, we're, we're focusing on you. We're depending on you. And by faith, they would pray and they would stand in faith. And God, if you read some of those stories, God would defeat tremendous armies because they responded in faith. Asa. One of the good kings. He did that. And God gave great victory over this army. And then years later, same king, but years later, another army comes against him, but this time he doesn't do what he had done years before. He's backslidden, if you will. He's not walking in faith. And he makes a treaty with another foreign country, nation, in order to divert the enemy that's coming against them. God sends a prophet to Asa and rebukes him, but he doesn't receive it. He gets angry, has the prophet thrown in jail. And what was the motivation? It was fear. And it was, the enemy wasn't even there physically. The enemy was just threatening. We are going to come and you, you are doomed. And sometimes just the fear of the threat. Hey, we don't have to deal with it a lot in America, but it still happens sometimes. It still happens sometimes. You understand the early church, people like Peter who, who wrote this. You read the, the book of Acts. You realize what these early Christians had to deal with. I mean, they're beating them. They're throwing them in jail, prison. And there are places in the world right now, right now, where if you name the name of Jesus Christ and you really worth your salt as a Christian, you're going to suffer physically. Right now, there are Christians suffering as we sit here in a church service in other countries in the world for their faith. But let me tell you something, it's worth it. Whatever you got to go through, whatever you got to go through. And then there's this fear, and it's a very real one, the fear of death. Why do we fear death? Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has said eternity in our heart. We know that when we die, it's not the end. And if you have not secured a Savior, and there's only one, and his name is Jesus, you're not ready to die. You don't want to die. Because you die without a Savior, that's it. There is no purgatory. There is nobody that can pray you out of some place. That's not in the Bible. Nowhere. Nowhere. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. You won't have a second chance. That's it. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, which is interesting. Some people think, you know, they're just going to be spirits in hell. No, they're going to have a body. Just like I'm going to have a new body, only I'm going to live in glory. Hallelujah. First martyr of the early church, a man named Stephen. If you'd like to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 6. And I'm so, oh, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. <laughs> but I don't want to die. 
<laughs> I know where I'm headed. I just don't want, I'm not, con I'm concerned about the process. That's all. I want to go to sleep and I want to wake up in glory. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Stephen, chapter 6 of Acts, verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. And then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's the Supreme Court. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. I love this next statement. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let me tell you what the message was on his face. In spite of what I'm having to suffer, I have hope. I have hope. That's what Peter says. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Stephen, here he is glowing despite the opposition that he's facing. Well, chapter 7 is a spirit-inspired, blistering message by Stephen to his audience. They don't receive it well. His conclusion is not a poem. It's not a warm fuzzy. Verse 51 of chapter 7, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. And when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They're mad. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's where his focus was. And if I'm going to make it through suffering, that's where my focus better be and your focus better be. Otherwise, you'll cave in. Otherwise, you'll give in to fear. He looks up to heaven. That's where his home is. And he sees Jesus. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm coming home. And then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord Listen to what he said. Do not hold this sin against them. I had to blow their minds. 
They don't understand people like that. Here he is, his face is glowing. His focus is on heaven. And as he's being pelted, he repays evil with good. He prays for him. Don't hold this sin against them. There's somebody who knew Jesus. Lord, help me to be like him. Help us to be like him. Well, back in 1 Peter, very interesting section here. You don't want to miss this. Verse 19. Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom, the Spirit, also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, not the physical baptism, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God by faith in Jesus Christ. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Interesting section. Telling us that Jesus, after he died on the cross, went to Sheol. He went to the grave. Now we have more than one verse that tells us that. We know that happened. He went by the Spirit, His Spirit, and He went to Sheol. He went to the grave. And He preached. He preached to the spirits who disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. Are these angels? I don't think so. We're studying Zechariah on Wednesday night. This past Wednesday night, I had the privilege of teaching Zechariah 12 and 13. Zechariah 12, verse 1, opens this way. Uh, God claiming himself as the one who does certain things. And one of the things it says that he does is he forms the spirit of man within him. You match up a New Testament verse like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, where it encourages us to submit to the father of our spirits. Let me clue you in on something. You're a spirit. I'm a spirit. We live in a body and we possess a soul. We're a trichotomy. That's one of the ways we're made in the image of God. He's a trichotomy. We're a trichotomy. We're body, soul, and spirit. When my body dies, your body dies, you're going to live on. Because we're spirit beings. I don't know if you realize that, but that's true. That's what the Bible says. And the spirits, I think very clearly that Jesus preached to that disobeyed long ago were all those people that for 120 years heard Noah preaching. Now, we aren't told what Jesus preached. I don't even know why you have a need to preach to somebody who's already dead and gone and in hell, in Sheol. We know that there were two compartments in Sheol. Jesus confirmed this in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man, he dies, he wakes up in Sheol, he's tormented in the flames. We call it hell. And it is hell. Lazarus, a beggar that had been laid at this rich man's gate daily, but the rich man paid no attention to him because the rich man wasn't saved. He's living for self. He's just living for this life. So he dies. He wakes up in, in flames in Sheol. Well, Lazarus, the beggar, dies, but he died in faith, despite the fact that he was a beggar in this life. And he wakes up in a place called Abraham's bosom, but it's still Sheol. So there were two compartments. Jesus confirmed this. 
Why did they have to go to Abraham's bosom? Because the sacrifice for sin had never been offered that was sufficient. Blood, bulls and goats and sheep and all that could never take away man's sin. It was never sufficient. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time to learn some good things from the book of 1 Peter today. There are a lot of injustices that happen in the world, but guess what? This was happening during the Bible times too. In Peter's first letter, he reminds Christians that there will be unjust suffering, even if you do live a righteous life. Does that seem just a little unfair? Look at the example of Job in the Old Testament. He was a godly and upright man who endured much grief, pain, and loss on a personal level. Although these types of suffering are painful, God notices and sees your hurt, and He sees the persecution for standing up for Him, and He will reward you justly. If you've enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings, feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. If you don't yet have a church to call home, we would love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. That's all the time that we have for today. But thanks again for tuning in with Pastor Danny to hear relatable things from the book of 1 Peter. Stay tuned for what God has for you right here on The Living Word.